we're talking about our pursuit of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and not only are we talking about our pursuit, but what we're trying to do throughout this series is, is really talk about our understanding. Because if, you, if your understanding is misguided, if you have a misconception as to who the Holy Spirit is, then you are going to have uh, an ineffective life partnering with the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is not a, a feeling, it's not a vibe, it's not a, an atmosphere or a culture that's created when your favorite worship song is playing. The Holy Spirit is a person. And, and what I love in the Bible is there's so many different things that, uh, that describe the different uh, traits of the person of the Holy Spirit. It's referred to as a guide, a comforter, a counselor, an advocate for you wherever you go. And so imagine how we would live life differently if we actually understood and believed and remembered that wherever you go and whatever you're doing and wherever you are, the Holy Spirit is with you. And so whether you're in those peak moments or those valley moments, the Holy Spirit is with you. Because we have a tendency in, in those dark times especially to all of a sudden feel like we're alone, feel like nobody sees us, nobody knows what we're going through, and it's just not true. The Holy Spirit is right there next to you and would, not, would love nothing more than you to just engage in that communication and conversation. Because the Holy Spirit's saying, I see what you're going through. I see what you're walking through. I know what you're thinking. I know what you're feeling. And it creates just the, this, you know, incentive for us to just reach out in a whole new way. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is our, our theme verse for this series that we're in on the Holy Spirit. Now, to each one... The manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good, for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues." All these are the work of the one and same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. I want to mention just very quickly that word manifestation. It's not really a word that we use super often um, nowadays, and if we do hear it, sometimes we, we think of it in a negative sense. Manifestation means an event, an action, or an object that clearly shows or embodies something. So if you were to summarize it, it's evidence. Okay, manifestation is evidence. And, uh, and, and it's important that we remember you don't possess the gifts. You operate in them. Like the, the Holy Spirit is the, the source of these different gifts. And, and I love in that scripture, uh, again and again, it's like one spirit, one spirit, one spirit, talking about the, the spirit, and that's where the, the source of these gifts come from. And so nine gifts are listed. So last week we talked about the discerning gifts, which is the gift of wisdom, the gift of knowledge, the gift of discerning of spirits. This week we're talking about the dynamic gifts, which is the gift of faith, the gift of healing, and the gift of miracles. And next week in the series we're going to be talking about the declarative gifts, which is the gift of prophecy, the gift of message of tongues, and the gift of interpretation of tongues. Now it's important that we don't make the mistake of attaching our identity to the gift instead of the source of that gift. All right, so we, we don't say, hey, I'm, I'm Zach the healer. I'm, I'm, I'm Zach the miracle worker. I'm Zach the prophet. I, I don't describe myself in that way because even though I might operate in those gifts, 
even though I might be used in miraculous scenarios, healing times, my identity isn't rooted in those things. I can say, I'm Zach, I'm full of the Holy Spirit, and even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because I'm aware of the Holy Spirit that lives in me. We identify with the source, not the gift. But we can identify with the Holy Spirit and still walk in weakness. So we don't stop there. We take it one step further. We operate in the power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It is God's will, therefore the Holy Spirit's will, for these gifts to be used. And think about a gift. If a gift is never given, or if a gift is given and it's never used, that would be an extremely wasteful thing. It'd be an extremely wasteful thing. Now, do you believe that God is wasteful? I don't believe he is. Can he be extravagant? Sure. Can he be over the top sometimes where it's just like, hey, I'm just going to, you know, go over the top so there's no way that you can try to chalk this up to coincidence or something else? Sure. But he's not wasteful. Because again and again, we see this principle throughout the Bible of stewardship, which is basically being, you know, a good caretaker of, of everything that we have. And so it would be wasteful to either have a gift and not give it or to receive that gift and not use it. Romans 8.28 says, For we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. All things means that God is going to work through your losses and your wins. He's going to work through your successes and your failures. He's going to work through your triumphs and your disasters. And so we need to recognize that when it comes to the limiting factor of the Holy Spirit operating in these different gifts, the Holy Spirit is not the limiting factor. You and I are. God's will and desire is for us to operate in these gifts and use these gifts. And so if those gifts aren't happening, then something's up. But we don't point the finger at God. We turn the finger at ourselves and say, why is it that we aren't seeing these things on a more regular basis? So we get to the first gift that we're talking about today, the gift of faith. Definition, it's a supernatural confidence and assurance for a specific situation. This isn't simply mere optimism. This is not having a, an upbeat attitude. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. You see, faith doesn't contradict reason, but it does go beyond it. It is at this point that your reasoning, your evidence will not satisfy human curiosity. Because people will ask you, how do you know? And you sit there and you think about it and you say, I don't know how to explain it, but I just know. And then it happens. And then you have the evidence. Faith is acting on what you know but might not be able to see. But faith requires no doubt. James 1.5 says, But if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That's how faith is different than wishful thinking. Wishful thinking says, I sure hope this happens. Faith says it's going to happen and there's no room for doubt. Hope can give you a dream. Faith is what makes that dream become a reality. Faith is like this invisible element, the necessary ingredient. And I believe that there's so many people in this room, you have dead dreams 
Not because you heard wrong, not because the dream was wrong, but because faith was never added to the mix. I'm going to invite uh, Dan and Heather Corley. They're going to come on up here. And uh, they've got a faith-filled story. And uh, this is a story that I've actually heard many times, but it never gets old. And, uh, and so I just, I love hearing it again and again and again. And uh, so they're going to go ahead and share about <laughs> Hope Fieldhouse. <laughs> I feel like this is like a 60 minutes interview or something. Uh, but anyways, can, can you go ahead and tell us, uh, you know, first of all, what is Hope Fieldhouse for those of you that don't know? So I, I think most of you have probably been to Hope Fieldhouse, one of the missions banquets, stuff like that. But Hope Fieldhouse is a um, recreation, fitness recreation center in Rosemount. Um, it's just more than a gym. Um, so it's 45,000 square feet. We have uh, um, uh, 30,000 square foot of hardwood space, which we use for basketball, volleyball, uh, pickleball, which is unbelievable sport right now. <laughs> um, and then we have a full fitness center upstairs. We have a walking track. We have uh, locker rooms and all that kind of stuff. Um, so what we do at Hope Fieldhouse is membership-based. You can get a membership there for like 30 bucks a month. It's pretty inexpensive. But our heart is really for the kids and special um, youth and special needs kids. So we rent our courts out for tournaments, uh, practices. We allow the youth to come in and play basketball and volleyball and do stuff like that after school. Um, and then more importantly, though, um, we, we cater to the special needs community. So right now, uh, we are overly and abundantly blessed by... Um, allowing uh, special needs, cognitively impaired and physically impaired um, kids to come in after school. We have actually 17 school buses that come every day after school and drop these kids off. Um, and they do floor hockey and soccer and softball and um, all that kind of stuff. We give them really an outlet to build community through sports. Yeah. What, what was the cost to build this? Uh, oh <laughs> Field Outs cost $6 million to build. So you, you just took it out of your bank account, right? Uh, yep, yeah, yep, yep. It wasn't I asked Visa for a little up on the credit limit, and uh, we just went forward. So, so, so bring us back to kind of the, the idea stage. Like, no, did you just wake up one day, like, hey, let's go build a $6 million gym? Like, how did that idea come about? So um, um, I was part of the Rosemount Area Athletic Association Youth Board, and we decided in 2013 that um, because the population of Rosemount was getting so big, uh, but facilities, we hadn't had a new gym or school built since 1991, that the solution was to cut, um, uh, cut kids out of sports. So basically, we're eliminate all C teams out of all uh, Rosemount athletics. And my wife and I, we, you know, sports is our life. We, you know, that's where my best friends come from and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so, sorry, I tear up every time I say this. It's been 10 years. It's crazy. Um, um, I just left the meeting, and my daughter, Caitlin, had a softball game that night. And I just went to, I couldn't even go to the softball game. I was so overwhelmed with this burden to do something about this. I couldn't imagine, sorry, I couldn't imagine telling an 11-year-old uh, that they can't play sports because us adults can't figure it out. Mm. So. Yeah. That's, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm going to ask the question that, that many people think when they hear stories like this. Like, how did you know that God was a part of it? Because we, we so often we chalk stuff up to like, well, it's coincidence, or you're just ambitious people. Like, how, how do you describe the fact that God was a part of this process? You want to jump in or me keep going? I have the gift of administration, which is gift number 10. <laughs> and the gift number 11 is the gift of not talking on stages. <laughs> 
um, and, and I'm blessed with the gift of faith, so, uh, you know, when, when I feel like God's telling me something, I skip right to the last page, and everybody lived happily ever after, and Heather's got, like, all the pages in between. <laughs> uh, um, I, I would say this, so that moment, I had, I, I had only ever felt that feeling one other time in my life of this overwhelming burden, mm -hmm. and um, I went to the softball game, I cried in the car, I called her, and all of a sudden, I actually drove to a building that was on for sale for $4 million and just called her again, and like, I, d I can't get this out of my mind. Um, we, went, we went years, so uh, by the time we put a shovel in the ground, to the idea from the shovel in the ground was seven years. Uh, we went the first four years, uh, we raised no money, <laughs> um, we probably spent over $100,000, and we missed countless um, softball games, basketball games, all the time with our kids, because we just had this overwhelming burden to, to build this. We would get confirmations, it'd be like, great, we have this idea, um, that I'll back up just for a second, I, I won't go for five minutes, I promise. Um, uh, and uh, uh, two days later, I get this idea, and through connection of a connection of a connection, I'm with the CEO of TRIA, sitting in his office. They actually met me at the door to bring me up, and he's like, so what are you thinking? I literally just had something drawn on a napkin. I looked like the most unprepared person in the <laughs> world. And I literally just drew this on a napkin. And I'm like, I don't know. This is what I'm thinking. Like, I had no idea how to sell my vision and my passion. Um, and then we'd hit a high. Then we'd hit a low. The city of Rosemont would agree to give us a million dollars, but it had to go through a referendum. The referendum fails by 52 votes. Uh, we find a developer to come alongside us and turn out he's Satan's son um, and took a bunch of money. So now we're back down. And, like, we had this ups and downs and ups and downs. But... The whole time there's just this burden. We actually talked about this earlier in 2017. We actually sat and prayed for God to remove the burden. Mm. I, I just, just to remove the burden. I just, we can't do this anymore. But God just wouldn't let us. And God led me to this story. And I remember after we prayed, I went to bed in the middle of the night. I woke up and I just heard God say to me, what if Moses would have turned back? Mm. And it was, this, it was this idea of like, Moses had guilt and shame and all this stuff. What if he just would have gone halfway to Egypt and be like, eh, nah, I'm good, mm -hmm. and head back? How many lives, how many generations would have changed because of that decision? So, um, yeah, it's, and it, as you can see right now as I'm tearing up, this passion, I just, mm -hmm. I can't get rid of it. Yeah, that's good. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Okay, I guess I'll talk. <laughs> um, you know, you asked about the confirmations, and after we, um, we were driving home from um, Mankato State one day because Dan played basketball there on scholarship. And I mean, truly, sports is our life. So if you don't see us Sunday morning, we're at Cannon Falls Sunday night because basketball is going on. But um, long story short is we were talking and we were like, what about that piece of property in Rosemount that's next to that one church that's just green space? So we called them up the next day. We went in. We're like, hey, we got this weird idea. What do you think? And they're like, can you come back tomorrow? So we came back tomorrow to meet with the head pastor. And um, basically the three confirmations were we had already hired a builder. turned out to be the same builder that built the church. And then they were like, well, how big are you thinking? And we're like, well, this size. And he's like, oh, well, that's exactly the size of what we were going to build a hockey rink on how many years ago, 2002 or three or something. And so they were like, the third thing was, they were like, we already have it zoned and like approved. Like the city's already approved the plans. We just need to switch it over to a basketball arena. So we were like, holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, I guess we're moving. <laughs> That's awesome. La last question, you know, for those that are sitting here, they've got 
a $10 million dream. They've got an idea that they're supposed to move across, you know, to, a, to another country. You know, they, they've got something, but it requires faith. What, you know, what's the advice for someone who has gone through the process of saying yes to God with something really big that took a lot of faith? What's your advice? Well, I, I think looking back in the Bible, like, when did God ever, um, how many times did God call somebody that wasn't, quote, unquote, unqualified to do something miraculous, right? So, so why wouldn't it happen now? And we're reminded of this verse from Isaiah. Um, let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path, uh, watch the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Um, turn your foot from evil. Look, looking back 10 years now, um, and by the way, Hope Fieldhouse is, we have over 130,000 people that come through our doors um, each year. It's just, it's just unbelievable right now. We don't make a dime from it. We are just board members. So if God would have said 10 years ago, hey, I want you to spend all this money, all this time on something you're never going to make money from, <laughs> and it's going to keep you sleepless at night, I would have been, yeah, sure, why not? That sounds like a great idea. Um, but, um, sorry, I lost my train of thought there. Um, uh, I, I, would I would just say this. What, where we failed in the past is we looked to the left and the right. We, we thought, God gave us this idea, so we should bring in this developer. We should bring in this investor. We should do this and this and this. It only prospered when we stopped and we did it. Mm. Because God called us. Not, not Zach, not you, not you, not you. God called us to do it. So when the bank asks, who's going to financially guarantee this loan? And we're looking at our bank account with like three grand in it. We're like, we'll guarantee that $5 million loan. <laughs> And the banker says, okay, as long as you're in charge of it, you know, because yeah. he, wanted, he wanted to know. And we, we, all these things we thought, we're, we can't do this. Um, but it was when we had to eliminate all the distractions, we stopped and we just focused on what God had told us. You know, they say that God gives you a word and others make it a paragraph. Well, God gave us a word and we were to finish it. So, yeah, um, yeah. so that, that's the advice I'd give. That's good. Can we give a round of applause for Elise? Thank you, guys. purpose of faith is power to accomplish what we believe to be impossible by our own human reasoning and understanding. Faith brings us to places that we never would have gotten to by ourselves. And I love a couple of things that they pointed out. Number one, there is sacrifice involved. This idea that, you know, I want to see miracles. I want to see big faith. I just don't want to do anything about it. You know, it's not going to happen. You know, it does require sacrifice, and it requires you stepping out. Second gift we're talking about this morning, healing. Healing is to cure or restore in a way or duration that the human body or medicine would be incapable of doing. In Matthew chapter 8, it says, when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. Infirmity simply means physical or mental weakness. And, and I want to talk a little bit specifically about um, the, the amazing ability that God has created in our bodies to self-heal. Uh, I, I believe that it's important to be precise in our language and that our words matter because we don't want to cheapen, we don't want to lessen, we don't want to dilute a healing by claiming something to be supernatural in instances where it was just natural. But then we also can't rob God when he does in fact heal in a supernatural way and, and chalk it up to nothing. And here's the thing, when I think sometimes people, you know, will oftentimes say things are, are miraculous or healing when it's not because then they don't know how they could praise God otherwise. Like, you can praise God either way, okay? If your leg is broken, 
and it instantaneously fuses itself back together. Praise God. All right, if, you, if your leg is in a cast and it naturally heals over the course of time, over the course of several weeks, and then it becomes stronger than it was before, praise God that He created a body that self-heals. You know, you can, you can praise God either way. We don't need to manufacture things to praise God for. Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of His benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. I'm going to invite uh, Mark to come on up here. And uh, Mark Clausen, he's a doctor. You'll notice that he has got the, the same last name as me. He is, in fact, my father. And uh, so he's going to share the, you know, a, a healing story from the perspective of a doctor. But before you do that, um, I've got a story that I was, my memory was jogged of that I think is, is pretty ironic. Um, so back in high school, my arm was broken, and so I had a cast. And uh, so I'm with friends, and we're, I grew up in Bemidji, and we're canoeing on uh, Lake Bemidji. And if you've ever canoed or kayaked, you know, the, the hard thing is, you know, th there's always like water dripping down or up the paddle. And so I'm trying to kind of paddle with this cast, and water keeps dripping into my cast. And it's just like really annoying me. Um, not only is a cast annoying, but a wet cast, especially annoying. And so anyways, me and my friends were in these couple of canoes. We pull up to our friend's house, and uh, our friend, really our friend's parents' house, they were not there. Um, we broke into their garage, and uh, I found a, a garden shears. And I was able to get half the garden shears down my cast, and I was able to chop it off. And, uh, and I'm pretty sure I just left the cast there. And uh, I'm pretty sure we messed with their house, like we teepeed it or something. We get back in our canoes, you know, we go back, and, uh, and uh, um, then my dad comes and picks me up that evening. And, and I will say, I think to, to define our relationship, me and my parents at that point, strained would probably be the, the best definition. So I do not consider myself at this point in time to be a believer or a follower of Christ. But my parents, their faith is important to them. They're following Christ. And so anyways, we're in the car, we're driving, and, uh, and my dad doesn't notice for like the first five minutes. And we're driving, and all of a sudden he looks over, he's like, where's your cast? And, and I just had this like most smart aleck remark. I was like, God healed me. <laughs> and I still remember, he goes, that might be true, but you're still getting a new cast tomorrow. And so we show up to the hospital the next morning, and, you know, see, so he's a doctor, so he knows all the other doctors. So this doctor's putting on this new cast, and, uh, and he's like, so how did you get this off? I was like, garden shears. And, you know, so I'm kind of telling the story, and this doctor's trying not to laugh, but he sees my dad in the corner who's just, like, furious. And uh, so anyways, that was my not real healing story, but now we're going to get to a, an actual healing one. If that's not pastor material, <laughs> I don't know what is. <laughs> Well, first of all, thank you for having me on your show. I watch it all the time. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Uh, so, yeah, so my story, uh, so growing up in Prior Lake, uh, the neighbor boy was Chuck. And Chuck spent at least as much time at our house as he did at his own house, and that includes sleeping time, because he was best friends with my youngest brother. Well, he grew up, and he was just part of the family, and he married this uh, sweet southern belle named Stephanie from Georgia. And the two of them were just this cute couple, and they had a son, and then about two years later, she was pregnant with her second child. And uh, about halfway through the pregnancy, she started to notice a lot of numbness and tingling in her arm, 
and very appropriately, the doctors thought it was carpal tunnel. That's very common when you're pregnant, and chalked it up to that, and didn't go away, and they thought maybe she'd hurt her neck and a disc and things like that. And, and then as the pregnancy went on, uh, she got to about 36, 37, 38 weeks, and, and she was starting to have trouble breathing. And it was to the point where she was really not able to catch her breath. So at 38 weeks, her, her Stephanie's mom just said, enough of this, we're going in. And, and they went in. And, and of course, they didn't want to do any kind of tests earlier on, chest x-rays, things like that, because she was pregnant and you wanted to protect the baby. And so, so at that point, uh, she's obviously struggling just to breathe. And so the emergency room doctor got a chest x-ray. And she has a whiteout up in her right chest. It's all filled with something. And uh, so at that point, she was admitted. Doctors took her to the CT scan and said, you know, baby or not, we need to figure this out. And she has a tumor that is filling up this upper part of her right chest at 38 weeks pregnant. And so uh, at this point, her breathing was getting so bad that they uh, said, well, we, we have no choice. We just have to do something. And so uh, they, they did an emergency C-section, and baby came out, and, and Josh was great and, and uh, healthy and all of that. And then without even, uh, they gave her a spinal for the, for the C-section, and then they immediately put her to sleep, turned her over, opened her chest up, and biopsied this. And this turns out to be what's called a Ewing sarcoma. Now, Ewing sarcoma is a rare kind of cancer, very aggressive. Typically happens in kids who are less than 12 years old. And I actually have a personal story. I lost a cousin when he was about 10 or 11 to Ewing sarcoma. And then when I was a resident training to be a surgeon, um, a guy came up to me in church one Sunday and said, you know, I got this lump on my leg and I'm a little worried about it. And I examined him, and that ended up being a Ewing sarcoma, and it ended up taking his life. And so, so my experience with this was, was really, really bad. So here she is with a newborn baby, a two-year-old, and a new diagnosis of a huge Ewing sarcoma in her chest. Mm -hmm. You want to hear the rest on. of it? Keep okay, going. Okay, all right, yep. okay, all right, good. <laughs> so, uh, so, so anyway, so she started chemotherapy and the doctor came in and of course the first thing they did was do a whole scan on her body and she had multiple spots of spread on her liver so this was not just confined to this area it was on her liver so they sent her down to the Mayo Clinic and she's the perfect example in my mind of God healing through the knowledge that he's given us through medicine and also God healing miraculously. And she, to me, she's the perfect story of both because she got the scan, showed the metastasis to her liver. She went down to the Mayo Clinic. They repeated the ultrasound on her liver, and they were gone. And the doctor, the Mayo Clinic doctor, the world-famous Mayo Clinic doctor, walked into the room and looked at her and said, well, your choice, mistake or miracle. Uh -huh. And they were just gone. And so she still had the tumor, but everything that had been in her liver was just disappeared. And of course, she had been prayed for the night before and, and all this kind of thing. And, and so she had no doubt in her mind which the answer was for that. So then she went under, uh, underwent six weeks of chemotherapy. Now, I just got to tell you real quick, 
when tumors happen at times when they're not supposed to, so cancers that show up in very young people, cancers that are for, you know, that usually happen in kids but show up in older people, they're just always, always, always bad actors because it's happening at a time when it shouldn't happen. And so at this point, when I heard this news, <laughs> I'm just crying because, I'll be honest, I have no hope for her. I mean, I, I just say this is going to be a long, drawn-out thing, and her kids are going to be without a mom. I th that's the only medical expectation that I can have. The doctor came in to, um, to the Mayo Clinic surgeon came in and said, you have a big tumor, it's inoperable, any questions? You know, and, and it was just like, what, what else can you say? Well, in any case, she went through the six months of chemotherapy. She had an exploratory thoracotomy. They go inside the chest. And the idea was to try to remove as much of the tumor as possible to make the chemotherapy more effective. Surgeon went in. It was gone. <laughs> I mean, it was just, it, it, it was, there, there was only scar tissue left. Now, of course, it's easy to say that she just had a, an amazing response to chemotherapy. But every oncologist I've ever told this story to has just said, that's a miracle. That's, that, that's not good chemotherapy. That's a miracle. And so she went to a visit at Mayo Clinic, and a doctor knocked on her exam room door and came in, and he said, he said I'm sorry to come in. He said, I'm not one of your doctors, he said. I, I just wanted to meet you because I know your story and I just wanted to lay eyes on you. And he said, how did this happen? And Steph's response was, and he just nodded, said goodbye, and left. He had no other argument or expl explanation for it. She, complete, she obediently completed her chemotherapy. She actually had a recurrence four years later that responded to chemotherapy and radiation, and she's now been 25 years disease-free as a wonderful mom to her kids. So to me, she's just the perfect example of this blending of, you know, and, and she, she'll, she'll go on and on and on. We talked for an hour yesterday. She'll go on and on and on about how this deepened her faith into a relationship with God. She said, before this, mm -hmm. I was a seeker, I was a learner. She said, now I have a relationship that's of a depth that I can't describe. and. The number of people that she has told this story to, it's become not only part of her story, but part of her witness. And it's just been powerful, and, and everybody who knows her, and, and yeah, you, you couldn't keep her down with a ton of bricks. I mean, she's just, she, she's just got more energy and, and enthusiasm than you could uh, possibly describe. Yeah, that's so good. Well, Thank you. How about now? There we go. Okay. Uh, what, what I love about the aftermath of that story is uh, it led to, to multiple people coming to accept Christ as their Savior. And, and, and so often, the, the healing isn't just for the person being healed. Like, it's for a, a bigger purpose. And, uh, and so I just, I just love that story. And again, it's a great example of how medicine and, and faith, you know, intersect. You know, so often it's like, well, you have to choose God or science. You know, no, science is just confirmation, you know, of, of God and uh, in so many ways. And so I, I just love that story. We're not done yet. Miracles. 
And uh, we've got another story for miracles as well. A miracle um, is something that is divine intervention that alters our natural circumstances. Now, all supernatural healings are a miracle. Not all miracles are a supernatural healing. It's, it's a broader category. Do miracles happen all the time? No. That's what makes it so special. Does it happen a lot more than we give God credit for? Yes, I really believe that it does. There are 37 recorded miracles of Jesus, and many of those miracles were actually like several miracles in one or even thousands of miracles in one when it came to like the feeding of several thousand people. But I wonder sometimes, have we lost our sense of amazement at what Jesus did? Like, have we as a church become secular in our thought that it was really just legend and myth? Like, when you read the Bible and you're reading these miracles, like, do you just get excited? Does something, like, just stir up in you where you picture yourself as if you were there? And, like, this is just amazing. Like, this is amazing. Like, there's no way to explain this. Or has it just become routine where it's just kind of like, I heard that one. I heard that one. Jesus turned water into wine. He had 21 healings. He had four exorcisms, which is casting out of demons. Three people he raised from the dead, three involving specifically fish. Two more involving the feeding of thousands of people, which also involved fish, really liked fish. Three times he controlled the elements of nature. Like, these are phenomenal stories. Like, I I love Jesus' very first miracle where he turned water into wine. You have to read it. The interchange between Jesus and his mother Mary is absolutely just phenomenal. Jesus, his disciples, his mom, they're at this wedding. They run out of wine. His mom, Mary, she approaches Jesus. She says, they have no more wine. She didn't ask a question. She just made a statement. And this is Jesus' response. Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. (laughs) All right? Now, Now it gets better, okay? Mary says to the servants, she doesn't respond to Jesus. She responds to the servants and says, do whatever he tells you. Like, It's just this moment, you know, where it's like, your father in heaven might not have said it's time, but your mother on earth says it is, and and you're going to listen. And I I just picture Mary just like walking away, like, yep, servants, like, you'll take care of it. And I just love this moment. Matthew 17, such a cool story. Temple tax, okay? Simon and Jesus, they're walking into the temple, and someone kind of challenges them, like, hey, have you paid your temple tax? It's a two drachma coin per person. And Jesus looks at Simon and goes, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth collect duties and taxes? From their own children or from others? And Simon's like, well, yeah, the the children would be exempt because they're royalty. And Jesus goes, yeah, but so that we don't cause offense, I want you to go fishing. I want you to cast a line and you're going to catch a fish. You're going to open the fish's mouth and inside of it is going to be a four drachma coin. You know, just picture Jesus probably just like waiting there at the temple, you know, like go do this, go catch the fish, and then comes back with the coin. Maybe he was holding the fish too. Like, look what I got. Like, I'm just picturing myself there, and it's just amazing. Feeding of the 4,000, okay? He fed 4,000 people with a couple of fish and a couple of loaves of bread, but that was actually just the men. It would have been closer to 10,000 people when you include women and children in those numbers, Three times he controlled the elements of nature. He's with his disciples. They're on the the Sea of Galilee. The storm comes. Waves are are coming over the side of the boat. Jesus is sleeping somehow, deep sleeper. Disciples, they're afraid they're going to drown. They wake him up, and Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves, and instantly everything is calm. And the disciples just were amazed, and they said, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. 
Like, have we, have we lost sight that we serve a God who's a miracle worker? Alex and Bianca, come on up. We got one more story. All right, so tell us a little bit about the, the autoimmune disease that you had. So I had what you call idiopathic multicentric Castleman's disease. And it's very fancy. Basically, idiopathic means they couldn't figure out where it came from because I met no criteria to have this disease. And multicentric means it just took over my whole body. Um, and it basically mimicked a lymphoma. So every single one of my lymph nodes was inflamed. And because of that, my body just went into haywire mode. And instead of trying to attack what was happening in my body, it started to attack my own body. And so my body kind of slowly started to shut down. When, when were you first diagnosed with this? Like, when did you find out? Um, so I got sick about a month before I was supposed to graduate college. And I basically lived in a hospital bed up until my graduation. And um, they didn't diagnose me, actually, till the end of that summer. Okay. And what did, what did treatment look like? Um, so when I first got diagnosed, they actually misdiagnosed me. So treatment was taking um, a high dose of steroid medication to suppress everything. And that worked for about a couple weeks. And when it didn't, um, they came to me and they did more testing and said, the only way that we can handle this is if you go through chemotherapy, which started every week and followed up until I had it. I'd had to do it every six weeks following the years to come. So fast forward, you're now at Farmington. At this point, you're the admin here. And, and bring us through kind of the, the miracle story, the healing, the prayer, just everything that happened with that. Um, so it was actually in this room where it started. We were, um, every Monday and Tuesday, the staff gets together for one hour in the morning and just prays in this room together. Um, and we were in this room as a staff. And at the end of prayer, we huddle up to pray together. And... Mitch Anderson actually says, I have something that I feel like I have to share and I want to be obedient and turns around and says, the Lord told me that you're healed and you have to believe it. Now, if we rewind to just a couple of months before that, um, at first week, I was fasting for my healing and I prayed one morning and I said, Lord, if I'm healed, you have to tell someone that I'm healed and you have to tell them that I have to believe it because I physically couldn't see anything. Everything was internal that was happening in my body. And I kind of forgot about that prayer, so I kind of just took it. And um, to be quite honest, I love Mitchell. I didn't believe it. <laughs> I was uh, driving home, and I was like, okay, Lord, like, I've been wanting this for so long. And a part of me wants to believe it, but a part of me doesn't want to believe it either. I don't want to get my hopes up. And he whispered so saintly, faintly, he said, go to your room and get your journal. He described the journal. He said, open it up and read to the week of first week. And I read that, and I started to cry. And so I called Alex, and I was like, this is what happened. And he was like, okay, so what's the next steps? And I called the doctor, my specialist, and I said, I'm going to stop chemotherapy. And she was like, no, you're not. And I was like, yeah, I am. I'm going to stop chemotherapy. And she was like, Bianca, 
no, like, you're going to die if you stop it. And I was like, listen, I know that my body's healed, and I know it doesn't make sense to you, but I need to stop chemotherapy. And she said, I'll stop it for two things. If your blood um, draws come back normal, and if your CT scan comes back, then we can have a discussion of stopping it. And so uh, it took a couple weeks to get all that in. And on March 26, 2019, I got the all clear. My blood levels were the highest they've ever been. And my CT scans, every single lymph node was smaller than when they previously saw me three years beforehand. Um, and just something that's so crazy as I was preparing for this, I was looking at my journals and March 26 of 2016 is when I got diagnosed. March 26 of 2019 is when I got the all clear that I was healed. And both my girls were born on the 26th, which I, never, which I was told that I was never going to have my own kids. And so, but only God, only God could yeah. do that. I came prepared. It's, it's really awful watching someone go through chemo. And uh, I just remember back when Bianca was the admin, and uh, it was tough because she would come in late or she would leave early, and, uh, and she came back and she just looked terrible. Um, you can't tell a woman she looks terrible. Um, <laughs> but she would just come back just pale and, and ghostly, and, and it, we as a staff, we just didn't really know how to respond because it's like we don't want to bring attention to the fact that you don't look good. Um, so like how do you be compassionate to someone like that? And um, those were always my worst days. Um, every new attenders dinner, I always share that my, my favorite part about my job is my staff, but um, those were my worst days, is when you would have chemo and either the, the day you'd come back or the next day, and uh, man, I'm so glad that those days are over. Alex, you as the husband, um, what was it like for you to watch your wife go through treatments like this and to now be on the other side and, and see this miracle and uh, have these two phenomenal girls? Ooh, yeah. Um, yeah, sorry, I was like welling up. Just hearing the story is always a beautiful thing, but um, we started dating knowing of the disease that she had and knowing that she wouldn't be able to have kids. It was never even on the table. Uh, we were both okay with it because we were open to adoption at that point, and we still are down the road, which is awesome, but um, I was never even expecting of that. Uh, I knew, hey, sometime, it's not if, it's when you're going to get healed, and me along with all my friends, everybody at the church, we all believed it was going to happen at some point. Uh, we just didn't know when, uh, but man, taking you to those chemo treatments, you know, while we were dating and into marriage, it was always tough. It was. Um, but I always knew that God had a plan for it. God had a reason. Um, the amount of people that you were able to witness to and um, talk about who God was to them, and that brought so much faith to them, even though um, they may have not believed who God was. But God had you there for a reason, and the timing, it all lined up perfectly, which was the most beautiful thing. Um, when we went off of chemo, we were like, you know, we're going to try to have children because we found that we could try for it. It wasn't going to be easy. It may be something would happen with the kids, but we were believing in faith that, um, you know, God would provide a way for it. Uh, if God prompted us for that, um, he would provide a way, and 
Um, a month after that's when, after we had that conversation, that's when the healing happened, uh, and then we got pregnant. And so, and we have, like, so like you said, two beautiful girls, perfectly healthy, uh, nothing wrong at all, and that's an only God thing. And I, so we believed it was going to happen, and it did, and we're just so thankful for the miracle that God did in her body and within our family. So, Praise God. More tears today than a Dr. Phil episode. <laughs> Yikes. Acts 14. In Lystra there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. And Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that the man jumped up and began to walk. Paul had the ability to discern and recognize something about this man that he had faith. And Paul then uses the gift of healing. But this man's miracle wasn't just for him. It was a miraculous sign for everyone else present. Think about this. It wasn't just that his legs were put back in working order. It says that he jumped up, but he had never jumped before. It says that he began walking, but he didn't know how to walk. Faith, healing, miracles. What if we had the faith to believe and act in a way that the supernatural became commonplace? And you know what makes faith difficult is action is always required after the belief. And I think about this man in Lystra. What if he didn't stand up? Like what if the doubt set in? What if he couldn't get the, the courage? Would the moment of his miracle have passed? I think many of you are seeking your miracle first so that you have more faith after. But in scriptures and in my experience, it required faith first. God responds when we risk. Mark 16, these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will place hands on sick people and they will get well. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven. He sat at the right hand of God, and then the disciples went out and they preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. Our prayer team is going to come on up. I want to ask you this morning, what area do you need faith in? Like, are you tired of being a slave to debt, letting your love of money and material stuff run your life? Have you lost faith to, to write that book, start that business, pursue that mission field? Then it's time to step out of the boat. It's time to get out of your comfort and into your calling. What area do you need healing in? Have you started to believe that your, your mental sickness is the new norm, and that God can't free you from your depression, from your crippling anxiety, from your suicidal thoughts, from your gender dysphoria, from your eating disorder, from your PTSD? Have you believed the lie that, that your marriage doesn't have any hope because you fell out of love? Do you not think in a moment that God can reveal to you the truth and make obvious the lie? Do you think He's not capable of even bringing the most ugliest bitterness and taking it away if you'd simply give it to him. What do you need a miracle in? 
You tired of being addicted to pornography, drinking, marijuana, social media, gossip? Maybe you're here and you've got this, this spirit living in you and you know it, but you know it's not of God. And you know that it's something that you need to get delivered from. What do you need for your faith? What do you need for your healing? What do you need for your miracle? Do, like, are, what are you waiting for? Do you think it's just going to happen some other time? Why can't it happen today? Like, why can't this be the place? Because in this very room, we already know that we saw a miracle with Bianca. And so why do we think that this morning we can't see more? But it starts with us. It starts with us having this belief and us actually taking action on that belief. And for you, that might just be standing up and coming down to the altar. I think there's a lot of people that they're not seeing their miracle because they're sitting in their chair and they're not willing to take even a step of faith to go get prayed for or to go kneel at an altar because they're uncomfortable with it. And I think we've gotten so comfortable with modern medicine just being the, the new norm. That's the thing we go to. I think we've gotten comfortable just saying, this is just something I'm going to deal with for the rest of my life. So I just got to get used to it. I just got to figure out how to manage it. And we, be, we make these new norms acceptable, and we just sit back, and we just allow that to be. And yet then I, I read the Bible, and I see all these miracles, and, and it talks about how Jesus was crucified for us, and how he not only defeated sin, he defeated death. By his stripes we are healed. So then why do we think that he couldn't come and heal any and every one of you this morning? Do you think that he wants to just sit back and have you in your disease, in your sickness, and in whatever it is that you're going on? Or do you believe that he actually wants you to live life to the fullest? But you got to do something about it. Will you stand? We're going to go into a time of worship. We're going to have some people up here to pray with you or to lay hands on you. We're not the source of your healing. The Holy Spirit is. And yet it's important that we operate as the body and we step out in faith. And so some of you stepping out in faith means you're coming to this altar and you're being honest about where you're at and where you need a change to happen. But then there's some of you where God is asking you to operate and allow the Holy Spirit to work through you, and the healing might come from you. The miracle might come from you as you're laying hands on someone and praying for them. And so if God drops a name in your mind, if he puts a face in your mind and tells you to go pray for that person, don't you dare sit in your chair because you are actually preventing that person's miracle and healing. You step out and you begin operating as the body of Christ is supposed to. Is it going to be uncomfortable if you've never done it? Probably. But we're not trying to build a church around comfort. We're trying to build a church around the power of the Holy Spirit because that's when a church begins thriving. That's when a church begins impacting their community in a whole new way.